when we last read Detectives in Togas. Our detectives had gone to visit Lucas, the soothsayer, and instead of receiving them and giving them the answers they hoped for, he threw snakes at them and scared them out of his room. By the time the boys had all gathered back up together, they noticed that Musius was gone, and they weren't quite sure where he was. Well, we're about to find out. Detectives in Togas, Chapter 12 A River Inside a Building? Musius had not separated from the others because he was in a hurry to get home. He had not even run away when he, they had. He stayed with Lucos, for he had made an astonishing discovery. After handing the chain to Julius, he had gone to the rear of the group. Standing there, more or less inconspicuous, he had taken the opportunity to look around the place. He was curious to find out how Lucos had made the iron-bound door open without himself leaving the vaulted room. Close to the floor, along the wall, Musius discovered several cords. Aha! he thought. That's the trick. Then his eyes fell on the woolen cloak lying half-hidden behind a pillar near the fireplace. He was startled, for the cloak seemed familiar to him. While Julius was talking, he stole over, lifted it, and examined it closely. Sure enough, it was Rufus's cloak. On the left shoulder was the neatly mended tear which Musius had seen before. Here was clear proof that Rufus must have visited Lucos. But why? And why had he left his cloak behind? Puzzling over this, he paid no attention to the way the interview was going. Then suddenly he heard Lucos's shout and saw his friends fleeing wildly. He hesitated for a moment, and that was his mistake, for by the time he began racing after them, he was several yards behind. He raced into the corridor and found the inner door with the secret mechanism already shut. The others must have slammed it as they rushed out. He shook it, pounded his fists against it, but his friends did not hear. This was a pretty mess. He was caught like a mouse in a trap. It was so dark that he could not even see the walls of the passageway. The only light was the greenish sheen from the mask behind the pane of yellow glass. He looked at his hands and saw that they were shaking and found, to his surprise, that he still was clutching Rufus's cloak. He was so scared. His heart was pounding loudly, so much so that he thought he could hear it. Ridiculous, he told himself. He won't do anything to me. But he was afraid of Lucos. Should he ask the soothsayer to let him out? He tiptoed back to the curtain and peered through it. Lucos was going around with a basket, picking up something. He moved in a peculiarly awkward fashion, and every step he took sounded as though he were pounding a block of wood against the floor. Stooping seemed hard for him, too, for he groaned aloud each time he bent his back. With a shudder, Musius saw that the floor of the room was crawling with snakes. He backed into the corridor. As he groped along the walls, he felt a ladder under his hands. Quickly, he put on Rufus's cloak and lifted his foot to the lowest rung. It was a long climb before he bumped his head against something hard. He felt what was above him and realized that it was a ceiling trapdoor. When he braced himself against the ladder and pushed, it opened upward. Drops of rain pelted into his face. It was thunder and lightning, but this did not drive him back. He swung up onto the roof, quickly closed the trap door, and sat down upon it. Then he sighed with relief. He was out of that dreadful place. 
For a while, he sat there feeling quite pleased with himself, but gradually he began to feel uncomfortable. He could not very well sit out here on the roof all night long in the pouring rain, with the lightning flashing all around him. Maybe I can jump off, he thought. Luckily, the roof did not have a sharp pitch. He crawled on hands and knees to the edge and waited for a flash of lightning. Then he looked down and with a shudder started back. The building was far too high for him to venture a jump. He would break every bone in his body. Now he crawled along the edge of the roof, hoping to find a rain gutter on which he might shinny down. But this hope failed. There were no gutters. He made himself as small as he could, hunched up against the driving rain, and stared despairingly into the darkness. But suddenly, he saw a bolt upright. By the latest lightning flash, he caught a glimpse of a flat roof of another house almost within reach. The distance between the two roofs were hardly longer than the length of his arm. Quickly, he crawled down to the edge and prepared to jump. At the next lightning flash, he leapt, fell forward on his face, but he was safe. He would certainly find another trapdoor on this roof, and he made up his mind to rouse the people who lived in the house and ask them to let him out. They would be strangers, but they certainly could not be as bad as Lucos. But how could he account for the fact that he was stranded on their roof? I'll simply tell them the truth, he decided. Cautiously, he crawled forward, but suddenly his hands reached out into empty space. He lost his balance and fell head first into space. It's all over, was his last thought. The fall will kill me. Then he dropped with a loud splash into water and sank like a stone. Musius was a good swimmer, and with a few vigorous strokes he brought himself quickly to the surface. It was pitch dark. He could see nothing at all. The water had gone into his nose and his head rang as though a thousand pins were sticking into his brain. Rufus's cloak felt as heavy as iron on his back, and he had to keep treading water vigorously to stay on the surface. He had not the faintest idea where he could be. He must have fallen into a river, for he could feel a strong current under his feet. But how was that possible? The Tiber was at least half a mile away from here, and there was no other river near. Perhaps I am dead, he thought in sudden terror. Perhaps I am swimming in the river Styx, which leads to Hades. But that was really too fantastic. The dead were supposed to wait nicely on the shore until Charon took them across the sticks in his ferry. Besides, you didn't feel sick to your stomach when you were dead, and he certainly was feeling badly from all the water he had swallowed. Suddenly, he realized that it was no longer raining, although it had just been pouring cats and dogs, and that the wind had stopped completely also. But still, he heard the rain beating down high above his head. He gazed upward, and for a second, by a flash of lightning, caught sight of the sky framed in a square opening. No doubt about it, there was a roof above him with the skylight through which he must have fallen. He was inside the house next door. But then, how could there be a river inside a house? How strange. Growing tired of treading water, he let the current carry him along, and in a short time came up against a smooth wall. It felt like marble. Then he felt ground underfoot and realized with delight that the depth of the water was rapidly dropping. Soon it reached only his waist and before long was gurgling harmlessly around his ankles. He waded along the wall, stumbling upon a flight of stone stairs, climbed up and sat down, exhausted on the top step. 
He felt altogether done in and so weary that he could not frame a single clear thought. If only he could figure out where he was. He cursed the darkness. Because he could not see, he did not dare move from his place for fear of falling again. But suddenly he burst into laughter. In a flash, he had realized where he was. He had fallen into the baths of Diana, right into the swimming pool. What a joke. He knew these baths well. They were an elegant place of recreation for rich patricians, and he had often been here with his father. He had never known that the building was located directly back of Lucos's house, though. How often he had happily swum in this very pool into which he had just fallen so unexpectedly. At this point, he realized what enormous luck he had had. The water of the baths were drained out every night. That was the reason for the powerful current. If he had tumbled in here only a little later, he would have broken his neck on the marble floor of the pool. He jumped to his feet and groped around until he found the front entrance. But the doors were firmly locked, and there was no other exit. That he knew. Here he was, locked in for the second time. And there was no help for it. He would have to wait all night until he was let out. He was soaking wet, too, but at least he was not sitting on a roof in the rain. He found a marble bench, folded Rufus's cloak into a pillow, stretched out, and fell asleep at once. Chapter 13 The Baths of Diana Next morning, Musius was rudely awakened. A brawny Arab was stooping over him, shaking him roughly by the shoulder. This time I've caught you, you scamp, he railed. This is the second time you've sneaked in here at night. Get up. You're going straight to the police. Musius started up, stammering. What's the matter? Where am I? Who are you? I am the superintendent, the Arab said. How did you get in here? I fell through by accident, Musius said, pointing to the skylight high overhead through which a bit of morning light could be seen. You're lying, the superintendent grunted. You jumped in here night before last, too. Yesterday morning, you got away from me. But you won't be so lucky today. I'm not lying, Musius cried out. I did fall in last night and never before. Oh, ho, you deny it. What's your name? Musius Marius Domitius, Musius said proudly. Ha, the superintendent exclaimed with a righteous wrath. Then you're the one. And he thrust a bronze lantern under Musius's nose. So, here's your name right here, Musius Marius Domitius. This is your lantern. That proves it. Lying won't do you any good. Musius was speechless. It actually was his lantern, the very one Rufus had taken by mistake. The superintendent grinned triumphantly. I found the lantern yesterday morning on the floor of the pool. You're a liar and deserve a good thrashing. But Musius was paying no attention, for a stirring thought had occurred to him. Could Rufus also have been in the baths of Diana yesterday? What was the boy like, the one you found here yesterday? He asked quickly. The superintendent was startled. What's that? What was he like? Like you, of course. That couldn't be, Musius said. He can't have looked like me because I wasn't here. The superintendent's bad temper returned. So here we go again, of all the bare-faced. Listen, you little scamp. You have some way of getting in and bathing without paying the entrance fee. For that kind of trick, you'll go to prison. This frightened Musius. Prison was the last place he wanted to go. 
I didn't intend to sneak in, he said. I'll pay. What is the fee? Ten sesterces, children half price, the superintendent said. I'll bring you the money today, Musia said. No, wait a minute. Maybe I have it with me. He hastily rolled up his toga, reached into the pocket of his tunic, and found to his relief that he had not lost the hand handkerchief with the money. He untied the knot, picked out a silver coin worth twenty sesterces, and gave it to the superintendent. But I have no change, the superintendent said, his eyes riveted on the money in the handkerchief. No change required, Musius said generously. The superintendent hesitated. Where did you get all that money? he asked suspiciously. It's my pocket money, Musius boldly claimed. He did not feel like telling the complicated story of how he happened to have the money with him. Your father must be awfully rich to be able to give you so much pocket money, the superintendent said slowly. My father is Marius Domitius, the tribune, Musius said. The superintendent's eyes widened in disbelief. What's that? he exclaimed. His Excellency Domitius? You mean it? Musius gave a superior smile and pointed to the lantern. There it is, he said. Marius Domitius, you just read it to me. The superintendent's manner changed abruptly. He bowed low, stammering. Excuse my words, I, I beg your pardon for them. Please don't report this little incident to your father. I did not realize. I let my temper run away with me. After all, I am in charge here and have to see that the rules are observed. We can't just have anybody sneaking in and using the baths without paying. Besides, it's dangerous. I drain the water out of the pool every night. If boys get into the habit of sneaking in via the roof, one of them, sooner or later, is going to jump into the empty pool and break his bones. And then won't I be in trouble? You were very lucky, young sir, that there was still enough water in the basin. Shall I dry your clothes? You can't go home in that state. No time for that, Musius said, suddenly realizing that he had not been home all night. How late is it anyway? The sun has just about risen. I must hurry, Musius said, and started at a trot for the entrance. Almost immediately, however, he slowed down to a stop. Tell me, at the, tell me about the boy who was here last night, he said. When I opened the doors yesterday morning, the superintendent said, a boy dashed out of the building, almost knocking me down as he went by. It happened so quickly that I only caught a glimpse of him from the back. I couldn't catch him either. He shot off like a barbarian. He must have come in by the way of the roof the night before. That is the only way he could have got in, because I make sure the place is empty before I lock up every night, and this is the only entrance. When I found you on the bench this morning, I naturally thought you were the same fellow. But if you say you're not, you're not, he added in hasty apology. You'd better take your money back. Never mind about that, Musius called and trotted off. Very kind of you, young sir, the superintendent called after him. Musius ran the short distance to Broad Street, crossed and made a detour around the forum. He did not want to be seen by people in his present condition. His clothes were wet and filthy, and his hair was an uncombed shock. But suddenly he stopped dead, as though struck by a bolt from the blue. Heavenly gods, he murmured to himself. Rufus is innocent. For it had occurred to him that Rufus could not possibly have written, Caius is a dumbbell on the temple wall. Rufus had been locked up all night long in the baths of Diana. Chapter 14. A Letter to the Emperor When Musius had finished his story, his friends gazed at him in silence. 
They did not know whether to be a wed or to burst out laughing. What a wild tale! How were they to believe it? On the other hand, there were things he had brought back with him. Rufus's cloak, which was still wet, and his own lantern. Apparently, he was not telling tales, in which case he was a hero and deserving of great respect. They were in their secret cave, sitting on rickety boxes around a table on whose cracked marble top a candle was burning. Playing one day on the Esquiline Hill, they had come across this roomy cave in the rock and had promptly appropriated it for their own use. It was their official headquarters. Here they met whenever they had anything important to discuss, and here they hid when it seemed wise to keep out of sight for a short while. One dark corner was piled with old junk which they had collected around town, and which they intended to use some day to furnish their cave. Over the entrance they had hung a tattered old rug to serve as a curtain. Publius was the first to express his doubts of Musius's tale. You mean to tell us you spent the entire night locked up in the baths of Diana? He asked slowly. You can ask the superintendent if you don't believe me, Musius replied, affronted. What did your folks say about you being out all night? Flavius asked timidly. I was lucky, Musius said. They were at the theater yesterday afternoon, and afterwards they went to a party. So they came home late and slept late in the morning. Only our doorkeeper saw me this morning, and he won't tell on me. If I had known you were going to stay at Lucas's, I would have stayed too, Antonius said. I didn't stay by choice, Musius said. I was trapped there when you idiots slammed the door behind you. Would Lucas have done anything bad to you? Flavius asked. That I can't say, Musius replied, but snakes were crawling all over the place and I didn't like that. I would have stabbed Lucas with my dagger, Antonius boasted. If you hadn't fallen down dead from fight first, fright first, Publius mocked him. Quiet. All this is beside the point, Julius interrupted them. He pushed the candle aside, leaned across the table, and looked searchingly into Musius's face. So your idea is that Rufus spent the fatal night locked up in the baths of Diana too? He asked. I've explained the whole thing to you, Musius said impatiently. Rufus must have gone to see Lucas. Then he must have jumped into the baths of Diana. In the morning, when the superintendent opened the door, he scooted out and ran away. And the only way he could have got in was the way I did, through the skylight in the ceiling. That must have been between the first and second hours of the night, when there was still enough water in the pool. If he jumped half an hour later, he would have broken his neck. So Rufus is innocent. He could not have written on the temple wall. But what made him visit Lucos? Flavius asked. The gods alone know that, Musius said. All I know is that if he was inside the baths of Diana, he could only have got there by crossing roofs from Lucos's house. Lucos's house is the only one around that is as high as the baths. What Musius says makes sense, Julius said excitedly. Remember Rufus's clothes that we found under his bed? They were soaking wet. So there, Musius burst out, pleased by his support. They were wet because he jumped into the pool at the baths of Diana. We must do something at once, Julius said. But what? Flavius asked. We'll go to see Livia and tell her all about it. What can Livia do? Publius asked. She herself said that she is powerless. The prefect of the city won't receive her because he knows that the emperor is down with Pretonius. Then we have to go to the emperor himself, Flavius reasoned. 
If the Emperor orders Rufus's release, that's all there is to it. That was a bold idea. What do you know, Publius jeered. Flavius is turning into a hero in his old age. That isn't a bad idea, Musius said. We can prove to the Emperor that Rufus is innocent. It's not as easy as all that, Julia said. He dropped his voice and went into a whisper. The Emperor is heavily guarded. He lives in fear that someone will try to kill him. You don't get admitted just like that. You have to ask for an audience, and that can take days. I know what we can do, Antonia said with a wild conspiratorial expression. What? the others asked sulkily. Antonius' suggestions were apt to be pretty crazy. We'll write him a letter, Antonius dropped out. He can't be scared of a letter. The others were stunned. For once, Antonius's proposal made sense. They could leave the letter at the palace, and it would surely be delivered to the emperor at once. But who was going to write it? Flavius asked. You, of course, Publius said. You have the best handwriting in the class. For once, it will come in handy. Flavius protested, but was voted down. What shall I write on? He complained. That's easy, Julia said, taking a parchment roll out from under his toga. Here is a book of Cicero's orations. I don't like to part with it, but we'll use the back for the letter. It's fairly clean. Flavius had objections. A letter on the back of a book? What will the emperor think? He's likely to read the book and not the letter. The emperor is smarter than you are, Musius said firmly. We can't take the time now to go look for paper or wax tablets. This is an emergency. The emperor will understand. Just cross out the writing on the book. But Julius would not hear of it. No, don't cross it out, he pleaded. That would be a pity, and besides, the emperor might be annoyed. He thinks the world of Cicero, so he'll be pleased to get the book. Go ahead and write on the back. There's no harm in it. Come on. But I still don't know what to write, Flavius said miserably. I'll dictate to you, Julius offered. Flavius sat down at the table, unrolled the parchment, smoothed it out, placed the candle beside it, and picked up a charcoal pencil. Then he waited for Julius's dictation. Julius paced up and down, pondering. Finally, he stopped behind Flavius and began, Dear Emperor, but that was as far as he got. Musius and Publius instantly pounced on him. That's not the proper salutation for the emperor, Musius said. Then what is? Julius asked, offended. I know, Antonius burst out. Divine, merciful, glorious, revered, all-knowing emperor. That's too much, Musius said. They quarreled about how the emperor ought to be addressed. Then they debated about every sentence as it was dictated to Flavius, and finally they argued about the signature. It took almost an hour before the letter was completed. But at last, they were satisfied with it, and Flavius had to read it aloud several times. Most revered, divine emperor, Flavius read, we are petitioning you for mercy for Rufus, son of Praetonius. He is in prison, accused of having written, Caius is a dumbbell on the wall of the temple of Minerva, which is dedicated to you. Rufus is innocent, for he was locked up in the baths of Diana all night. He jumped into the pool through the opening in the roof that must have been between the first and second hours of the night. If he had jumped in when there was no water, he would have been dead in the morning and could not have run away. 
the superintendent leaves at night and comes back in the morning. Meanwhile, he drains the water and locks the door. Rufus was in there and could not get out. He ran past the superintendent in the morning, and the superintendent thinks it was Musius. But Musius knows it was Rufus, for the superintendent found Musius's lantern in the pool, but Rufus had the lantern with him, not Musius. The two policemen said that Caius is a dumbbell was not on the temple wall before the fifth hour of the night. They know that for certain because that's the hour they always get hungry and eat bread and figs and drink wine. The police always tell the truth that Caius is a dumbbell was on the temple wall before dawn. At that time, Rufus was still locked in the baths of Diana. That should prove that Rufus doesn't go around desecrating temples. Therefore, we throw ourselves at your feet and ask for mercy for our friend Rufus, the pupils of the Xanthos school. Flavius stopped, out of breath. Couldn't be clear, Musius said, rubbing his hands with delight. Now we must hurry and deliver the letter to the palace, Julius said. Hold on, haste makes waste, Publius warned. Something else occurs to me. What about Scribonus? What do you mean? Musius asked uneasily. Scribonus is the most famous handwriting expert in Rome, Publius said. If Scribonus maintains that the writing is genuine, it is genuine. Hmm, Julius murmured, and he began squinting at Musius out of the corners of his eyes. Antonius and Flavius were also assailed by doubts once more. One or the other was telling the truth, Scribonus or Musius. But Scribonus was a famous scholar, and Musius was just a classmate. Musius sat down on a box and began, and pro, excuse me, Musius sat down on a box again, propped his hand on his clenched fists and stared into space. Maybe you only dreamed it all, Antonius said. I have funny dreams sometimes too. Last night, I dreamed I was a pirate and fell into the water, and I would have drowned if a dolphin hadn't. Furious, Musius leapt to his feet and stuck Rufus's wet cloak under Antonius's nose. There! Did I dream that? he shouted. And what about the lantern I found on the baths of Diana? The cloak smells bad, Antonius gasped, half smothered. Then don't talk such nonsense, Musius said. Rufus is innocent. That isn't a dream. That is the truth. But then who did the writing on the temple wall? Julius asked. The emperor will want to know that, too. I can't know who wrote on the temple, said Musius, beside himself. But somebody must have copied Rufus's handwriting. But who? Julius repeated, stubbornly. Maybe it was a ghost, Antonius said. At that moment, there was a crashing noise in the dark corner of the cave, and the sullen voice said, It was me. The boys whirled around in fright. From the back of the piles of junk, Caius emerged. He clambered over an upturned barrel. I was the one who wrote, Caius is a dumbbell on the temple wall, he said, scowling at the boys.